Good morning, everyone. Yes, it's good to see you guys. Looking so good. Well, some of you. I'm joking. All of you, you're looking so good. Um, I'm excited about today because I get to preach, and God's word's good, and it changes our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just thank you for your word. It's alive, it's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Oh, God, you can help us figure out what's going on in our lives in a moment. We thank you for the power of the preaching of your word. We thank you, God, that I speak with words, but you speak to the very spirits, the very souls of people. And we trust you to do what you do best, which is change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a big morning for me, because for the first time I'm preaching from technology. I'm very mistrustful of technology, so I brought notes with. <laughs> and because um, I think they secretly try and you know, take over our lives and stuff, so I've always got to have a backup plan. This morning I actually had to use the notes because Apple decided to lose a verse somewhere. <laughs> Check that. They didn't want to know you, you didn't know something about the Bible there. So Apple. So anyway, I got the notes in case. Uh, we're going to continue our series on Romans, chapter 5. Uh, we've, we've got our first four chapters. We've done some in Bible school, and uh, Roscoe preached on Romans, chapter 4, last week, this amazing verse, uh, a passage about the faith of Abraham and how the promises of God and our righteousness is through faith, and that's all. And so we're going to continue Romans 5, verse 1 to 11. I don't know if I'm going to get the whole way. We'll just see how far we get. I definitely won't make it through the whole way through chapter 5, but at least six verses I'm trying. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, you know, if the Bible says therefore, someone said this once, if the Bible says therefore, you've got to know what it's there for. Like there's a reason they said therefore. In other words, they're saying following on from this discussion, we're making this conclusion. And so often we pick it up at the therefore and we don't know why it's there for. Um, and so, for well, way of reminder, uh, Proverbs chapter—I mean, <laughs> Proverbs—that's a long way back. <laughs> Romans chapter four. Um, the whole point is that we're righteous in God because of faith, and faith's a gift. So God gives us a gift of faith. We take that faith, we place it in Jesus, and all of a sudden, you're righteous and you're qualified for the full inheritance and blessing of God. And He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Not because of what we do, but because of what he's done for us. And peace is your birthright. I don't know how many people I spoke to. They came to faith. They gave their lives to Jesus Christ. I said, what happened? They said, I just felt this peace. Peace is kind of like the starting point of the kingdom. It undergirds everything. It's actually the way we make most of our decisions. People are like, how do you know the leading of God? I said, because I had peace to do that thing. And peace is like God, the way God steers us and guides us. Because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Next verse, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You know, there's a lot of chatter around privilege at the moment. And it's a really sensitive issue for a whole bunch of reasons. But I want to tell you, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have undeserved privilege. Your life will annoy people. Because that's what grace does, right? Because grace gives us freely what other people have been working hard for. 
And so some people are going to be like, oh, I've been a Christian for so long, and I've been serving, and I've been doing my duty, and I was a Christian from the time when you had to go to church without air conditioning in suits. That's how holy we are. And you guys come here with your shorts and your t-shirts, and you get the blessing, and the Holy Spirit comes here like when we were wearing suits. That's annoying. <laughs> if I had known that, I would have come to church in shorts and t-shirt years ago. And the whole point is this, is that God gives us undeserved privilege. You don't have to earn that thing. God just freely gives it to you. And it's going to annoy people, particularly religious people, because they feel like they work for that thing and you got it for free. And the whole point of that happening is because in that moment they go, come on God, and God goes, really, you worked so hard. You could have had it for free all along. Undeserved privilege, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. There's confidence and joy that glory's coming. We, we don't speak enough about heaven. I don't think we speak enough about anything that's in the Bible, obviously, but we don't speak enough about heaven. But here's the point, is that a day's coming that as surely as you sit in that seat, you're going to be in the very presence of God, witnessing His glory and not just witnessing partaking. You're not going to be an observer from the outside looking in. You're going to be an active participant as this relational swirl of glory spins around you and you're wrapped up in it. And you're lost for all eternity in the bigness of our God. John chapter 15, 16, 17, and particularly in John chapter 17, Jesus speaks about the relational glory that he has with the Father, and he says that they will behold the glory and that we will see it. We will see the glory of God, this relational glory. And it says there, Jesus says, as the Father is in me, so I am in you. In other words, the glory that Jesus experienced of the Father inhabiting him is the same glory we experience when Jesus comes to inhabit us. You get pulled up into the Trinity. I'm going to use something that for some of you is going to feel a little bit too far down the grace road. But God takes a Trinity and he makes it a quadrinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the church pulled into this relational epicenter. And you and I, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, we're going to heaven. And we're going to be a part of that forever and ever and ever. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Sorry? Uh, it's not. It's apparently it's in the Bible. You said technology. It's not. It's in the Bible. <laughs> like, this is awkward, you know. I've just been preaching to you about peace and undeserved privilege and glory and confident hope and expectation. And all of a sudden, it's like we can rejoice when we, when we run into problems and drops. You know what that's called? That's called a theological whiplash. <laughs> Paul had us heading this direction at like 100 k's an hour. Ooh, glory. Problems and trials. <laughs> Sorry? And here's the point. Your becoming a follower of Jesus Christ does not make you immune to the problems and trials of this life. And the way you relate to the problems and trials that come your way will set you up for more glory. Because I've, I was talking to someone before the service. She said, this, this thing happened to me. I'm struggling with this thing. And I was worrying, wondering, is God punishing me? Have you ever had that thought? Because we go through problems and trials and we think, oh no, I've lost the peace. 
and the undeserved privilege and the hope of future glory. And God says, no, when you go through problems and trials, it's got nothing to do with a lack of peace, undeserved privilege, or hope of future glory. Relationally, you and God are 100% while you're in the middle of the worst trial of your life. And if you can't make sense of that, you're going to think there's something wrong with you, or you're going to think there's something wrong with God, or you're going to think there's something wrong with the gospel, because you haven't learned to understand that knowing Jesus doesn't make us immune to problems and trials. I can think of three reasons, biblically, scripturally, there might be more, but I've thought of three. Why we can have problems and trials in this life. First one, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Yes. Come on, can I get an amen? You're like, I don't want to say amen to that, brother. We live in a fallen earth. We live in a fallen world. And God left us here to partake of this fallenness, to live in the fallenness so that we can save others who are in the fallenness. And his glory can be accomplished. And that others can join us because, man, if I meet Jesus and he radically saves me, but then God takes me to heaven, then who's going to reach the next generation? But look at this. But take heart. Be encouraged because I've overcome the world. And that's a great joy of the Christian faith when we find ourselves in the midst of the problems and trials and we're pressed down but not crushed. We're persecuted but not destroyed because we discover in that space that the glory of Jesus and the strength of Jesus is enough and sufficient to carry us through the trials and problems of this life. He is greater than the things that come against us. Number two. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. You will experience pain and problems and trials and suffering because you are at war. But God has equipped you. Man has given you a shield of faith and a sword of the Spirit and a belt of truth and sandals even cooler than cubs's. Or Dave's. Those are like Gucci. Those are Havana's. <laughs> A willingness to share the gospel of peace. And what you realize is this, is that we're more than conquerors. Because you come through problems and trials and you face them. Third reason why you can experience problems and trials in this world that has nothing to do with a lack of peace or relationship with God. And have you forgotten the encouraging words? God spoke to you as his children. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. It's like I wish we just stopped there. Romans 5 verse 1 and 2. Just come with the glory stuff, brother. Just this other stuff is a little bit problematic. God disciplines those he loves. What father is there that doesn't discipline a child that he loves? Because if you're undisciplined, you're set up for failure. If you're undisciplined or ill-disciplined, you're set up for suffering. You're set up for problems. Can I tell you now, as a 38-year-old, I'm very grateful for my dad's discipline. Even though in the moment, I was very unhappy about it. (laughs) 
Romans 12, verse 11, no discipline, I love this, is enjoyable while it is happening. See, sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of a season of life where it's unenjoyable, and we think, yo, if I just had more faith, I would enjoy this. <laughs> Ever had that thing, like, if I just had more faith, then these difficult things would be so small, I just have joy. But it says you will find yourselves in times of your life when it's unenjoyable. It's painful, it says, but afterwards it will be a peaceful harvest of God's right living for those who are trained in this way. I'm so grateful for my dad's discipline. One of the times my dad disciplined me, he's sitting right there. Dad, I love you, but your it was hectic. One of the times I saw my dad's righteous anger was when I was cheeky to my mom. You. He's shorter but fiercer eh, than me. <laughs> you know how grateful I am that, uh, for, for that? To learn that even when you're upset, you don't lash out. How grateful I am for that in my marriage today. We relate with respect and honor, even when we're sore, even when we're frustrated. You know how grateful he instilled that? But they had a famous saying as well. I speak once, I speak twice. We had this thing called the wisdom stick. <laughs> Checks. It's embarrassing. Do you know what? When I was a lati, my dad used to tell the stories about me, but now I'm telling the stories about my dad. And it was a stick. Came down with a handle that had wisdom written on it. Because it said it gives us wisdom via our. Apparently, my brain was here at that stage. Speak once, speak twice, wisdom stick. Because I know when authorities, figures of my life, including God, are speaking, they mean what they say. Because sometimes we like to tune out the voice of God. My dad said, you better tune me in, otherwise I'll help you. (laughs) It's the same with God. You know how grateful I am for the discipline of God? Problems, suffering, trial has nothing to do with a lack of relationship. In fact, sometimes it proves that he's treating you as a son or his daughter. In fact, if you're undisciplined, you're an illegitimate child. That's what the Bible says. You should be really worried if nothing ever. Anyway, I'm going to keep preaching. (laughs) For we know that these problems and these trials, they help us develop endurance. Your endurance is a tough thing to develop. I used to, again, my dad taught me how to do long distance running. And he used to, I, I liked running. But sometimes, you know, in the morning, you don't like running. Get up, we get on the road, we go for a run. Endurance, endurance. When you think you can't take any more, you find out there's more reserves in you. And sometimes in life, you think you can't take any more, and you find out there's more reserves in God. And in that moment, you learn to draw on the reserves in God, and you realize it's not so much about you. You've been looking the wrong place the whole time, and all of a sudden, you find an endurance in the very character and nature of God that sustains you in your deepest times, and you develop endurance. Endurance is simply faith over the long haul. That's all. And it deepens our faith because faith is the currency of heaven. It's the way we relate to God. And endurance develops strength of character. Character matters. We live in a world where money matters or insta-famous matters or being funny matters, all these instantaneous fleeting things. Character matters to God because character allows God to bless us without it becoming about us. 
What happens? You've got a lati who's grown up, he's a little bit wild, he's undisciplined, he's never had uh, the character instilled in him, and he turns 18 and his dad buys him a BMW. What happens? He wrecks himself. Maybe his friends. Maybe someone else on the road. What happens if he grows up and his dad's got a business and he comes in and after two weeks he's promoted to senior manager? Without ever knowing how that business works, without ever knowing uh, the, the condition of the laborers, the condition of the people that are working here, how hard they've sacrificed to make this dream, what happens? Character allows God to bless you. So if you find yourselves in the midst of a trial and a painful season, now understand that God is setting you up for greater blessing in your future. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And you might say, hey, 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 I thought salvation was based on grace through faith. Why character? You'd be absolutely right. Salvation doesn't come through character. But character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. In other words, our faith deepens. Our faith deepens and we, our hope grows. You see, we think of faith and faithfulness as two different things. Faith is the verb. It's something I do. And faithfulness is the adjective. It describes who I am. But the Bible says they're one and the same. In Hebrew, faith and faithfulness is the same. So what you do is who you are. It's a description of you. And so when we say uh, that is a faithful person, all you're saying is they've got lots of faith. It's the same thing. And this is the character that God deepens in us. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And sometimes our hope may be delayed, but it will not be deferred forever. Psalm 25 verse 3 says, No one who hopes in you, that's God, will ever be put to shame. There may be shame if we've been trusting in our riches. There may be shame if we've been trusting in our network. There may be shame if we've been trusting in our pedigree or our social class or our education or our status. There may be shame in all those things, but there is no shame for those who put their trust in God. And it's only through tough times that we realize that our trust was in the wrong thing. It's only in the tough times when, when money seems like it's going to waste away on us that we realize, Woo, actually, I need to trust in God. Or our friends are far from us. Or our success seems fleeting, or we feel like we're going to be exposed, that we realize that we've been trusting in the wrong thing. What a glorious discipline of God to deepen our trust in God. Ever prayed a prayer like this? God, all I have is you. Ever prayed that prayer? And what I know is that that's a moment of deep desperation. But it's a glorious moment. Because in that space, you've realized the depth of your relationship and your sufficiency in the sufficiency of God for your life. And everything else is stripped away and the noise of this world becomes quiet and we're drawn into the secret place and we say, God, all I have is you. Guaranteed 100% problems and trials will take you to that place. But God will never leave you there. 
for no one who hopes in God will ever be put to shame. I remember when God called me to give away lots of finances, and I remember, you know, in that, that, that season where you're just like, this is hard, God, and, and, and I remember I found my mom, actually, and she quoted that verse to me. said, my son, no one who puts their trust in God will ever be put to shame. You've taken a step of trust at the leading of the Holy Spirit. For we know how dearly God loves us. How do problems and trials help us understand the love of God? Because this is so counterintuitive. You're like, I'm going to understand the love of God when I'm on a beach in Mauritius. Then, the love of God will be so obvious. And to be sure, we need blessing to understand the love of God. David said, I would have lost heart unless I believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's when God blesses us at times that we experience a facet of who his love is, of his love for us. But also, it's in trials and sufferings that we understand some of who God's love, some of who God is and his love for us. Let me explain. I'm going to use the illustration of marriage. You know, sometimes in marriage, we, we go through some stuff because we're under pressure and we're under struggle. And, and um, it, it's like in that moment, we're a little bit grumpy to be around. And you know how it is. It's like you're, you're driving to that event. You're going to see those people and you're in the car and your spouse, normally I'm doing this to Teresa. Teresa never does this to me. But, but there's this, I'm, I'm joking. But there's this tension... Yeah, and there's like this grumpiness and you're snapping at your spouse or your spouse is snapping at you and you're just like, yo, this is tense. And then they arrive wherever they go and they get out the car and they're like, hello, how are you? Oh, give them hugs. And you're like, where have you been? Because <laughs> the person I drove in the car, yeah, wasn't that person. As again, me, not my wife. In marriage, we know what we're talking about. It's like the be- everyone else gets to see the best, but there at home when the gods are and the filters are gone. And you know what happens in those moments through that process when it's happened for a week or a month or two months or six months of this grumpy person when we're at our most unlovely. And we think, man, I must be hard to love right now. And at night, at the end of another tense day, climb into bed together and the lights go off and you, you have this thought, I just need to connect with them. I just need them to put their arms around me. But yo, I've been unpleasant. And you do that shimmy. Because <laughs> you're trying to snuggle up to them and you're just hoping that as you connect to them, they'll put their arms around you because you don't feel like you're worth loving anymore, but you just hope there's still love for you. It's only through, through, through trials and suffering. When we find ourselves saying things to God we, we never thought we'd say. Where our anger turns towards Him sometimes. And we accuse him of not being there for us. And we accuse him of failing for us. And in that space, when we add our most unlovely, we discover God still loves us. And he throws his arms around us. And he brings us close. Only 
suffering and trial will allow you to see that facet of God's love for you. Because as people, we think God will love me, man. I mean, I'm really doing well and I'm full of faith and I've got the fruits of the Spirit, all nine of them. Not like seven and a half. Patience. It's always a tough one. But when we add our worst and we discover God still loves us and his love is steadfast and it's unrelenting and we can trust our lives, it's only when you've been at your worst and experienced the love of God that you can fully relax into it because otherwise you will always think somehow he loves us because we're doing pretty well. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You must have the Holy Spirit. It is possible to be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says there is a baptism, there is an immersion into the person of the Holy Spirit that is available to every believer. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus and we have an encounter with him, rivers of living water flow from our being. But so often we're so satisfied with a trickle because we had that encounter five years ago or 10 years ago and we've stopped trusting God for more. But let me tell you, wherever a river flows continually, that river gets deeper and faster flowing as the Holy Spirit oozes and gushes out of our lives and our character comes into alignment with Him. There's more. Don't be so easily satisfied. When we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. This might be deeply offensive for some people, but I want you to know that you are utterly helpless in this thing called the life of faith. And we get that when we're saved because the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins and God made us alive and dead people can't save themselves. We get that. But I want you to know that even as a believer, there will be moments in your life where you realize that you are utterly helpless to be and to do what God wants you to, but we can fully rely on him. I want to invite you, just like that Romans thing says, the faith to quit. To give up feeling like you're adding to this thing. You're utterly helpless. John 15 says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. Don't resent the fact that you are utterly helpless when it comes to bearing fruit. The second thing in which you're utterly helpless to do is to change yourself. Because as a Christian, we change by repentance. And the Bible's so clear that God grants us the gift of repentance. You can't even change yourself. And some of you are trying so hard to be a better version of yourself 
you're utterly helpless. And you might find that deeply offensive. But you, are near, uh, you need to know that in our helplessness, Christ came at just the right time. And we might start utterly helpless, but as we come to him and we bring our faith to him and we lose ourselves in him and we, we, we give him more access to our lives and we go through these processes of deepening and strengthening, we realize that he is mighty on our behalf to give us the will, the desire, and the ability to do what he wants. Being utterly helpless has never been so good. Because the goodness of God flows in that space. Paul says, all the more I delight in my persecutions and my troubles and my trials. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. Your grace is sufficient for me. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Much more, I shall boast in my infirmities and my weaknesses that the grace of God may flow in my life. And the question is, are you strong enough to give up? Do you trust God enough to say, God, I'm tired of trying my best, my hardest, my utmost to be a good version of myself for you and to say, God, I'm utterly helpless to change myself. Come and change me. I'm utterly helpless to be fruitful for you. Come, God, and work mightily in me and through me for your glory. I'm going to jump to verse 11 and we're going to end there. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This verse is utterly scandalous. That we could be friends of God. I remember so clearly I was with friends in in living in Israel and I was in one of those seasons where you know like where you're getting crushed and the stuff that's oozing out is a yuck and I was feeling so unlovely and I was feeling like God couldn't quite love me and I was feeling like I wasn't good enough and I remember one night we drove into the desert because that's what you do when you're in Israel all the prophets went there they had to walk but we could drive we made a bonfire and the one guy pulled out a guitar and he started singing the song I am a friend of God and I went what? Maybe you are, China. James chapter 2, verse 23 says that Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness and, God, and, and he became God's friend or he was called God's friend because when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it's accounted to us for righteousness and God calls us friends. And here's the thing is that in life you have benefactors. You have people that you need stuff from. And so you, get, you develop a relationship with them so that the, you've got enough relationship to accomplish a goal. Think of team building at work. It's like I don't really want to be mates with all these people. But actually we've got a job to do and that job's easier with a relationship. So if we understand each other and we have a relationship, it allows us to do our job. But the job, the end goal is performance, not friendship. God has, is not our benefactor. He doesn't give us good things, and we're not his. He doesn't need us to serve him. He calls us friends. Benefactors, you hang around with them because you need something from them. Friends, you hang around with because you love being with them. 
God spends time with you because he loves being with you. You're his friend. And I've been through seasons of my life and I'm... feel like I'm in one of those seasons where I so desperately need my friends. People who have faith for me, who will believe in me. You know when you phone them, they're going to pick up the phone. God's your friend. He's your friend. He loves spending time with you and he doesn't want anything from you. He just wants to be with you. A deep sense of communing of spirits. And just because you're in a trial and you're going through a hard time, don't ever think that your friendship is up for grabs. Just because you've behaved poorly and you've done things you regret, don't think that your friendship is up for grabs. He is working all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that you've counted us as friends. And Father God, I thank you for the peace we have in you and the undeserved privilege we have in you. I thank you, God, for the confident hope and the expectation of future glory. And I thank you, God, that nothing here can ever separate us from your love. And though we find ourselves in trials, and sufferings, we still have peace. We still have undeserved privilege. We still have favor. How deeply you've loved us. And I pray, Father God, for people who find themselves in in the midst of painful seasons of their lives, where they're wondering if their soul will ever be back the way it was before. I thank you, God, that all who put their trust in you shall not be put to shame that you will bring them to healing and wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen.